Welcome to the Extraordinary Creatives Podcast. I'm Kerry Hand, your host and creative coach. Join me each week as we delve into the journeys of creative trailblazers, aiming to inspire you to embrace your creativity and chart your own unique path. Todd Henry, acclaimed author of seven internationally translated books, is renowned for his expertise in creativity, leadership and cultivating passion in the workplace across various industries. His podcast, Daily Creative, boasting over 18 million downloads, delivers invaluable weekly advice on maintaining creativity, productivity, brilliance and holistic well-being. As a long-time admirer of Todd's work, I was delighted to invite him to join us and share insights from his latest publication, The Brave Habit. Given the courage required in your work, I'm excited to present this special shorter episode as a motivational treat, a pep talk tailored to inspire and uplift. So welcome, Todd Henry. What an absolute treat it is to be with you this afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us on the Extraordinary Creatives podcast. Carrie, thank you so much for the kind invitation. And it's been really great to become familiar with your work and, and to see that we have a similar, in some ways, kind of a similar mission, which is pretty exciting. We do. And be precisely because of that mission that I wanted to invite you on today, because you've just launched a new book, which I think is going to be so of interest to our audience. But before we get stuck into that, I wonder, would you do us the honour of introducing yourself and your work, including kind of where you live and where you are currently? Yes, of course. Uh, so my name is Todd Henry. I live in the US, uh, in Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I like to describe myself as an arms dealer for the creative revolution, uh, meaning that my job is to equip creative professionals to be very focused and brilliant in their life and their work. Um, and I do that by helping them uh, develop the right mindset, develop some skills and some tools and collaborative techniques to be able to work with others effectively. And then also to make sure that they're doing their best work every day, putting their best work into the world, um, which can feel like a burden. I, I don't mean it to feel like a burden for people, you know, oh, am I doing enough work? Am I doing, you know, is my work good enough? It's not really about that. It's more about just, can you point to the work that you're doing with pride and say, you know, it may not be the best in the world, but it's something that I'm proud of. It's something that I'm proud that I was a part of. Um, and that's really what I, what I do every day is help people to be able to do work that they're proud of each day. And you do that through a mixture of writing and speaking and I know consulting and coaching, I think. Yes. Uh, so we've been podcasting since 2005. So a very long time been the podcast. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. And Oh, well, thank you. And and up until very recently, up until the January 1st of this year was called The Accidental Creative. We had tens of millions of downloads and lots of listeners around the world. And this is the thing we can get into if you'd like, because it relates to the topic of the new book, but blew up the podcast and started over with episode one on January 1st uh, as a brand new format and a brand new name. Um, and then, as you mentioned, I, I've written seven books and I travel all over the world and speak to groups of you know, anywhere from 25 to 400,000 at a time uh, and share the principles of, you know, how to be creative on demand, how to live in a world where we have to solve problems on demand every day. Mm. And I think you started your life as a creative. I think you have some music in your background. <clears throat> I do. Yes. Uh, I started, started the music business um, as, as a performer and a, a songwriter. Um, then quickly transitioned into being a creative director for an organization where I was leading a team of writers and designers and, and uh, videographers. 
And I did that for about a decade. And it was in the midst of that creative director role that I realized, oh, this, you know, creativity is not just like a waterfall. So you can't just turn it on and off that, that you, you know, some of the most effective people seem to have practices in their life that help them be positioned to be uh, effective every day. And that was kind of the beginning of those observations were the beginning of a lot of my work. And in the midst of that time started what became my podcast, The Accidental Creative, and um, then ended up near the end of my tenure as a creative director, getting offered a book deal with Penguin Random House, which was kind of the beginning then of what I'm doing now. So it was, it was a, um, you know, my experience as a creative pro, my experience of leading creative professionals, and then sort of transitioning into having access to a lot of creative leaders and professionals all over the world because of the work I was doing really gave me a unique purview to be able to speak directly to the, some of the hidden dynamics of being creative. Yeah, I love the fact that you were prepared to take those risks yourself when you say blow up the podcast and start again. I think it's fair to say for those of us who've been listening to you for a long time, um, I appreciate, as so many of our listeners will be, that accidental indeed um, makes us think that actually uh, we love those happy accidents as creatives, that's for sure, and that actually we riff off them and create new things but there's something that you've noticed and certainly that I support creatives with every day is that actually there are things you can do, as you say, to practice, to become, to build resilience, but also innovation and to ignite the kind of hearts and minds of those people. And some of those things are hidden. We don't get taught them at art school or in design schools, maybe in some lucky courses, but I understand that actually those things that you've noticed from your own experience, but also in drawing, harnessing the talent of other people, there, there are those practices that we can implement. And so I'm thinking about the new storytelling element of your new version of your podcast, your podcast 2.0, um, which I was really struck by how how considered those moments of um, inspiration, recognition, kind of creative ignition moments. There's a, there's a whole heap of stuff for people to get stuck into, but it's other people's voices are echoing your points. So we have people like Andy J. Pizza, for example, who I love as well um, on the podcast. And so there's a, a, a cacophony of creatives that you've worked with that appear on your podcast now. And uh, But it seems like you've taken some of your own medicine from the book in being able to start again. How, how has that influenced your thinking? So the, the new book is called The Brave Habit, and it's about how to build a, a daily habit of bravery in your life. We all face uncertainty and we have to confront that uncertainty purposefully. And by purposefully, I mean, we're either going to rise to the moment or we're going to retreat into comfort. And as I was writing the book, I began asking some uncomfortable questions because I, I was challenging other people to ask uncomfortable questions. So I started asking myself those same questions and they were questions like, if you were to start over today, would you be doing things the way that you're doing them right now? And the unfortunate response I came to was, no, I, I wouldn't be. I, I would be doing the podcast very differently. In 2005, it was very novel to be interviewing people like Stephen Pressfield or Seth Godin or you know, my friend Lisa Johnson or other people that I would have on the show. And you know, it was kind of a, a, 
an interesting and unique way of presenting conversations because there are very few people doing podcasts and very few mm-hmm. people doing interviews. Well, if really, if you kind of look look across the podcast landscape right now, there are a, a number of amazing people like yourself who are who are doing those kinds of shows, right? Who are interviewing people and and putting people into the world and people who are like yourself far better as an interviewer than I am. Um, but the one gift that I have is my ability to connect dots and to tell stories and to weave those stories into something meaningful or helpful or useful to people. And so I started in that, in those questions, in asking those questions, I began to realize there's something that I could do that would more uniquely meet the moment for the people who are fans of the podcast. And that would be to go in with an idea or uh, an an application or an outcome that I want, but to arrive at that application, instead of just telling people, here are the five things you need to know, boom, 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 or interviewing someone about their new book and just saying, tell me about your new book. I could weave different conversations, different stories, um, cultural touch points together into a piece of media that will arrive at the same conclusion, which is, so there. Therefore, here's how you should have conversations with your collaborators, or therefore, here are the kinds of questions you should ask before you make a leap in your life. But the way we get there is through the voices of many people and stories and anecdote. And so, for example, this week's episode features a story about uh, how the movie Dances with Wolves came about. It features a conversation with Austin Kleon about George Lucas and his relationship with Marsha Lucas, who was his editor in his life, and Kim Scott, who uh, wrote the book Radical Candor, and Charles Duhigg, who has a new book called Super Communicators. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. able to weave all of those stories together into something that helps people better understand the power of collaboration in the mm. creative process instead of just you know having a 45 minute conversation with Charles Duhigg which is great fantastic and wonderful but I felt like there was something a little bit more unique that I could be doing and so um the the uncomfortable part of it is it takes so much time, Carrie. My producer and I now spend multiple days each on each episode, but in the end, we feel like we're doing something that we're uniquely capable of doing. And again, I'm pointing to it with pride. I'm saying this is something I'm really proud of. And after having podcasted for 15, 17, well, 18 years, um, you know, I was ready for a change. It was time to do something different. And so that's, that's kind of, it was all sourced in that book, The Brave Habit, which really forced me to ask those uncomfortable questions and then to act on the answers I arrived at, which again, it's not very comfortable, but it's the right thing to do. 
Yeah, I think the the new version of the podcast is beautifully lush and textured. You know, it has it's very visual in the imagery that you conjure in our mind's eye, which I really love, and I know our audience will too. So, besides time, what else has it taken for you to make that step change? I think the one of the more difficult elements for me personally is having to release control of the work a bit. I mentioned my producer. Josh Gott, who really is responsible for helping architect the stories and weave together some of the narratives that we hear. And really the podcast for 18 years has been me. It's been me determining who's going to be on and me doing the interviews and me editing the episodes and me making all of those decisions. And I think I've realized, I've come to realize that um, collaboration for the sake of collaboration is not always helpful but when you have the right collaborators, there is a multiplier effect. And there's it's unquestionably the case that Josh Gott and I working together um, has a multiplier effect on the podcast and its um, quality and I think its impact on the audience. And so, and we're seeing that in our in our and how it's being received in the podcast. Um, like our our numbers are um, are really good and continuing to improve and improve, um, you know, which when you start with a base of, you know, that many downloads, you know, the, the percentage changes often aren't, um, you know, huge, but, but we are seeing some pretty significant percentage changes in terms of listenership, which is exciting. So thing, I love that you shared that, um, getting used to something that had success for you for so long. And actually um, the idea that in order to be great, we have to relinquish good. I'm actually the, the podcast 1.0 was better than good. It was already great, but there is something, isn't there for us creatives where we know something is working and connecting and we get in our groove and it doesn't mean it's easy. What you've been doing is not easy, but the new version requires you to be thinking in a different way and to be collaborating right. in that different way. So it's not just the end result, but the process that's the point, right? So something happens in it the is. process of becoming the person that can collaborate to create this new creative version of inspiration, but also entertainment, which I think it is. Well, and you that is a very astute observation. Um, part of the reason we made the change as well was not just that I felt like there was something better that I could be doing, but listener behavior has changed. The audience has changed. Uh, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, when, you know, The Accidental Creative was one of the top 10 podcasts on, you know, iTunes at the time, mm -hmm. um, you know, when it was like a very, you know, very well-trafficked show, um, there was there were very few podcasts, not very few, but there were not nearly as many as there are now. Um, and our format was unique. And I would also say that, you know, 10 years ago, people were listening to podcasts for a very different reason. Um, and that reason was typically, I want some piece of technical expertise. I want some information that I can't get. And I'll just get it directly from this author or directly from this, this podcast or this expert. And I think people are listening to media very differently now. I think that they, yeah, they want to be educated, but I think also they want to be entertained. They want, you know, they want to feel like they're a part, they're being drawn into something. I want to be able to put something on and listen to it while I'm washing the dishes or I'm taking a walk, walking the dog, exercising. And I, I want to not just feel like I'm getting information, but I'm also being taken on a journey. And so uh, that was part of it. You mentioned the word entertainment, part of it, you know, there's nothing wrong 
wrong with entertaining people. That just means to hold people's attention. And that's yeah. part of what I wanted to do as well was to sort of capture the imagination and and hold people's attention while I'm walking them through this process of revealing the insights that we have for them. Um, I want to to try to hold their attention. My biggest downfall as a creator, and this has become very apparent in my collaborations with my producer, Josh, now, is that I want to give you 25 application points because I want to share all 25 of the things that I know about this topic. And so here are the 25 questions you should ask, or here are the you know mm-hmm. seven key things you need to do this week. And one brilliant aspect of our collaboration has been Josh saying, one, Todd, <laughs> one, what is the one thing that you want people to think about this week? What's the one, and let's simplify that even, right? Um, and so that's been very helpful for me uh, as somebody who does a lot of research and I have a lot of expertise in an area to have somebody coming along and saying, and now let's just filter that down to one key application point, right? Oh, uh, I love that really you helpful. shared that. I talk to artists and creators so so often each day on the fact that they've created this kind of the equivalent of a box of quality street or all sorts or that they've created all these amazing feasts for people and they want to share to be sure they're not leaving somebody out they want to be sure Mm -hmm. that they're actually offering up a smorgasbord of creativity for other people to to choose so they're not being didactic they're not being um yeah they're not being too steering in the way that they share their work and i love the fact that Clarity comes from niching, right? We become more universal by being more specific, which I think is what you're saying. Your editor's helping you to do. Um, And I love the fact that you also say as a a creative that actually you need help with that. Because Mm -hmm. I think editing ourselves is one of the toughest gigs, right? It's really so useful to invite somebody in, but you have to have psychological safety to do that, right? Absolutely. Curious how you selected Josh. Um, well, we, Josh and I have worked together very well in the past. We we um, did some work around my book, Herding Tigers. Um, we created a, a course and some online, like some video content. And he's just really great at being able to extract key insights and then tell a story around those insights. And so we, uh, I was already in the process of reinventing the show. I'd already done some work on figuring out what it was going to look like. Um, we had already essentially prepared to launch an app related to the new show. And Josh and I reconnected uh, two, three, month, three months ago. Um, and he said, I would love to work on that project with you. And it just sort of became this really serendipitous kind of cool moment where two people who collaborate really well together, who complement one another really well, um, were able to find a way to make that happen again. And so it, 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 I didn't go out on a grand search for someone Mm. to, to do the show. It was someone I was familiar with, which, you know, when you're looking for a collaborator, that's, I think really helpful advice. You know, look to people in your past you've collaborated very well with. And I mean, for this new book, for The Brave Habit, I reached out to my first editor for my very first book, The Accidental Creative, which came out in 2011, David Moldauer, who is a brilliant editor. And I just sent it to him and said, David, can you just read through this and tell me what you think? I'm not asking you to edit it because I know that you charge people lots of money for doing that. That's not what I'm saying. Just if you'd be willing, just read through it and tell me what you think, right? Because I want 
trusted voices um, to be able to share their insights with me. And so I think that's, you know, who have you collaborated well with in the past and, and what are the, like, why, why have those collaborations been effective? We all, as you said, we all need editors. My, my editor at Penguin Random House, um, who edited um, or largely edited um, Herding Tigers, Nikki Papadopoulos, I just have so much respect for her. And she came back to me at the end of the process of editing Herding Tigers and said, we are dropping chapter six from the manuscript. I, I had spent weeks working on chapter six and she said, we're dropping it. It's it's not additive. It doesn't really do anything that the rest of the text doesn't do. And you need, you know, we need to be able to trust people like that in our lives to say, I know you worked really hard on this, but this is not the thing. This needs yeah. to go away. Uh, yeah. We need those people. I love that. So there's creating psychological safety with the people that we trust so that we can do our best work. What other things helped you to be brave, to write the brave habits? Well, I'm deeply motivated by the people that I get to interact with and serve. As you mentioned, I, I spend a lot of time speaking, which means I spend a lot of time out with people, with People who are in the workforce, people who are creating things, um, dealing with the pressure of creating on demand every day, whether they be marketers or strategists, or even people who are doing non-traditional creative roles. We don't think of them as creative, but creativity is problem solving. So if you solve problems every day, you have to be creative. And so I spend a lot of time with organizations that don't consider themselves traditionally creative, but they're problem solving and listening to what they're dealing with. And the number one overall theme that I'm hearing from people is just an, a, a crushing amount of uncertainty right now that people feel, a crushing amount of uncertainty about um, geopolitical stability, a crushing amount of uncertainty about economic forces and what's going to happen. And for creative pros, a crushing amount of uncertainty around things like AI, um, your generative AI and how is that what's that going to mean for me and my role? I've traditionally designed things. Can I just now type a prompt in and somebody can replace me with with a simple prompt? What's that going to mean for my role? What about for writers? You know, what about for videographers? I mean, we're seeing generative AI emerge into this space in a way that's making everybody feel very uncertain uh, of their, their possible future. And so the the impetus for writing the brave habit really was just to speak into that uncertainty and give people some tools to think about how to be brave in the face of that uncertainty. We all have choices to make in our lives. One of the, the, the most stubborn illusions we live with is that we live days or we live weeks or we live years. We don't, we, we live moments. And how we respond in moments determines the arc of our life. And so when we have a moment that is uncertain and that requires something of us, we have a choice to make. Am I gonna respond and do what I believe is right even though it might cost me something, or am I going to retreat and do what's known and what's safe and what's comfortable and live to fight another day, right? And I think those moments are becoming more and more common in our lives right now as creative professionals because of the rapid pace of advancement of a lot of these technological forces, but also just because of the way that the workforce itself is changing and how you know, collaboration is changing. And um, so I, I really wrote the book that this, you asked, why did I write it? I wrote it because I'm facing that same uncertainty that everyone else is facing. And we all have to make a choice about how we're going to respond. And I wanted to equip people with some tools to be able to do that. 
And side note, sorry, it's a long answer, but a side note, I started this book in 2016 mm -hmm. and it's taken me really seven years to finish this book. And I think that's largely because, well, some of it was research. I, I needed to do a little more research and every thread I pulled seemed to attach to another thread that I needed to pull. So it took me years and years and years of doing that, but also the timing just wasn't right. You know, if right now feels like the right time, we're on the other side of probably one of the most destabilizing incidents in any of our lives, which was the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you know, the, the market has changed, you know, we've accelerated the way that we're working by probably 10 to 15 years, meaning, you know, the work, the workplace has been disrupted. Um, you know, generative AI, as I mentioned, is now becoming not only something we have to think about on the horizon, but it is being integrated into our daily lives in ways we don't even know yet. And so that that was the impetus for writing. It was just to equip people to be brave in the face of all those uncertainties. So we know that creatives, artists and creative people um, are big thinkers, think, think a lot and can very often think themselves out of doing something. So I'm curious as to what kind of practical tools or habits might you encourage them in the book to take action on? How can they become brave? So there really are two key factors that, as I mentioned, those threads I was pulling, two key factors that tend to be present in moments when bravery is exhibited. Now, it doesn't mean that if these two key factors are present, bravery will always occur, but they tend to be present in moments when bravery is exhibited. The first is an optimistic vision of the future, meaning I believe there's a better possible future available in this particular situation. So if I if I think about generative AI, for example, because I keep coming back to that, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are thinking about generative AI, uh, at least con pretty consistently, I know a lot of my clients are, um, is my general vision of this circumstance optimistic? Do I have a positive vision of, okay, well, listen, this is happening so I need to be thinking optimistically about how I can leverage this tool in order to expand possibilities for me as, as a creative pro. Or is my general approach to it, well, looks like I'm doomed. It looks like my career is going to be replaced. I mean, it is what it is. There's no other possible future available for me. It looks like AI is going to take my job. So that's what I mean by a, a, an optimistic vision of the future. The second key element is agency a sense of agency versus a sense of powerlessness, meaning, and not only do I believe there's a better possible future available, but I believe I have the agency or I can develop the agency to be able to do something about it. When people retreat into cowardice, which is what happens when we fail to be brave in the moment, we choose cowardice, which means we choose comfort. Uh, we choose to retreat into the shadows. When that happens, it's usually because either I can't see a positive vision of the future. So I, I default to pessimism or a general belief that things are not going to work out well, or it's because I don't believe I have agency to act. And so I, I retreat into this sense of powerlessness. Um, when that happens consistently in our, our lives, we end up being a mindset of nihilism, a mindset of futility, a mindset of victimhood versus saying, well, I may not have all the tools I need. But I know what I can do. And so I'm going to claim that agency and I'm going to act in the face of uncertainty and begin moving toward that positive vision. Regardless of whether I ever get there, it doesn't matter. I'm going to move toward that positive vision. I'm going to do whatever I can to claim agency in this moment within my sphere of influence. That's when brave action is likely to occur. 
So for leaders of an organization or people who are leading collaborative in a collaborative setting, we have a tremendous role to play in building a sense of agency into the people we collaborate with. Hey, I see things in you that you may not even see in yourself yet. I see that you are capable. I mean, you're doing this, Carrie, with your with your show, with your podcast, with all the work that you do with your clients. I see things in you that you're capable of. You don't even realize you're capable of yet. I'm going to speak agency into you so that you have what you need, that internal will necessary to deploy courage in the moment of need, which is what bravery is. It's deployed courage. And I'm going to paint a picture for you of what a better possible future could look like. Sometimes we retreat just because we can't, nobody's painting a picture of what's possible. I'm going to paint a picture of an optimistic vision for you so that you know what we're navigating toward. If we do that consistently, not just for others around us, but for ourselves as well, then we're positioning ourselves to be brave in those moments of uncertainty, to rise to the moment instead of retreating from it. So in the book, practically, what does that mean? Which is your question. This is my 10-minute preamble to get to the answer of the question, which is B-R-A-V-E. The brave habit is block time once a week, review all of the areas of uncertainty in your life, your relationships, your work, um, general dynamics that are going on in your life. Where are you really uncertain? What are the source of, of sources of anxiety for you right now in your life and in your work? A is for agency. What agency do you have over those circumstances in your life? So how are you going to act in a meaningful way? Or how could you act in a meaningful way in order to resolve some of that uncertainty in your life? V is for vision. What is my vision of a positive future in each of these areas of uncertainty? So remind yourself, if you have a very tense relationship with your manager, um, maybe you have a tense relationship with a collaborator, or maybe even in your own work, you just really don't have a clear sense of, of your vision. Root yourself in an optimistic vision of the future. Why are you doing what you do? Why is this relationship important? Why is this particular business important for you? Um, root yourself in that optimistic vision and where you're going. And I'm not talking about you know just uh, these sort of imaginary, let's just create this sort of la-la land where I'm you know, everything's going to work out. No, I mean, in a very practical way, root yourself in your vision. And then E is for express. Express your intent this week in each of those areas. So this week, I am going to do X in order to have Y result in that area of uncertainty. I'm going to choose to act bravely in this circumstance. By deciding that ahead of time, you prepare yourself. You make, you make bravery almost a habit. You're preparing yourself to rise to the moment instead of if you just wait for the moment, you're just going to react and you might end up retreating or doing something you don't really want to do because it's the most comfortable thing in the moment. But if you express that intent ahead of time, you're positioning yourself to be more likely to make the brave decision in the moment of uncertainty. So that's the brave habit. That's the gist of the book really is, is establishing that habit once a week to position you for those moments of uncertainty. I love that, Todd. And I I think there's something about you chunking it down for people there. I'm thinking about all the creators I know who I would encourage to listen to Todd on Audible or read the book. I personally listened to it on Audible recently, partly because I've got so used to your voice with the podcast. But um, <laughs> it was like great. having you as an accountability partner at the same time. So I'd love to encourage people to do that. I am aware of time. I was wondering, do we have chance for one last question? Of course, yes. Bless you. So uh, I think it's because the artists in particular that I know that make 
artwork consider themselves to be risk takers because just being an artist is hard enough right so mm -hmm. how um can they apply the bravery that they bring in making the work whether it's painting sculpting vr work where they're taking all the risks sometimes yeah. they see a separation between that work and then taking risks and being brave in other areas like contacting people or introducing mm -hmm. them to their work can you think of how they could take that bravery and start to apply it in other areas of their life in that? Yeah. So I, I would say, yeah, I would say that there, that the, the important thing to remember is that that through line of why you do what you do is so important and why you believe that you're here on this planet is so important. And so um, there's a difference by the way, between bravery and boldness. And I, I call this out in the book, you know, bold work is not necessarily brave. Bravery is always on behalf of, the other, whether the other be a principle or an idea or a relationship, or you're literally doing something on behalf of another person, you're in interceding, standing in the gap for them. And so when you feel that temptation to retreat, to not make contact, to not reach out to someone, to not have the conversation that you need to have, it's important to remind yourself of why it's important that you do have that conversation. Yes, it might be uncomfortable, but there's some underlying through line, some underlying reason, purpose that that conversation needs to happen. And that's why you feel like you should. It's That's the reason you feel that that little prick of your conscience or that little, that little prompting is because you know deep down what you should do. And yet you don't do it because it's not comfortable. Um, and that desire, that biological desire for comfort is a very normal uh, thing. I mean, it's it, it is wired into us for a reason. It's wired into us to keep us safe in times when you know maybe being bold could have gotten us killed, right? When we were in the hunter gatherer phase of our of our existence, and so it's a very perfectly normal biological reaction. But we have to understand that the consequences of getting it wrong now are much much lower than they were when those urges were formed in us. And so what happens is we artificially escalate the perceived consequences of failure. We tell ourselves stories that are way, way, way overblown. And instead, we need to get to the truth and realize that, hey, if I fail in having this conversation, the consequences are not catastrophic and they're not dire. As long as I'm approaching it with intent and care and craft, I'm claiming my agency and I'm entering into the conversation with the right intent, You know, the consequences are, are very unlikely to be dire for us. Now, if you are uh, the leader of a country listening to this right now, uh, the consequences could be more catastrophic, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I, I want to be clear, but very few of us are are making geopolitical decisions that are going to impact you know hundreds of millions of lives around the world. Most of us are talking about, oh, I want to have this uncomfortable conversation with a potential client, but I don't know how to do it, right? I mean, the the consequences of that are often overblown because we tell ourselves false narratives. So my, my encouragement is just recognize why you do what you do and ensure that you keep that optimistic vision in front of you consistently. And then remind yourself consistently of the agency you have in your life and what you're good at and remind yourself of past moments when you've risen to the moment and why you were able to do that. And then draw upon all of those resources in those moments of uncertainty to act bravely. Love that. I think that tapping into the bigger why, 
when we don't feel that we can back ourselves or we lose confidence in our own vision, I think is such an important thing for us to share. But for those of you who would like to hear more and get more inspiration from Todd, where could they find more out about you and the book, Todd? So you can find me at toddhenry.com, T-O-D-D-H-E-N-R-Y.com. Uh, there you can also find our podcast, Daily Creative, which is now, I think, nine episodes in. After thousands of episodes, uh, we're now on episode nine so of good. Daily Creative. Um, and uh, you can find my books wherever books are sold. Just search for Todd Henry. Where, type in Todd Henry wherever you search for books, and you should find my books there. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today, Todd. And yeah, look forward to seeing the next brave thing that you do. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for the great work that you do. Thanks so much. I admired Todd's motivation to write the book, stemming from first-hand experience working with creatives who often grapple with uncertainty in their work. Despite recognising the need, he wisely waited for the right timing to release it, acknowledging the crucial role that timing plays in gaining traction for ideas. Todd's definition of bravery as intentional courage struck a chord with me. His focus on building agency into people and inspiring them with an optimistic vision of possibilities resonated deeply. His insights highlight the transformative impact of embracing bravery in both personal and professional realms, especially valuable for those of us prone to procrastination. Please follow and share the podcast. It helps us to support more brilliant creatives like you. Recommend future guest suggestions in your reviews. They might well become part of our show. Thanks for being part of our creative community. Until next time. Thank you.